The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hi, and welcome to this week's show. This is Steve Ray. I'm your host for Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. And I'm pleased to have as a guest this week, Catherine Latour, Professor Catherine Latour of Cornell University. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. We connected a few years ago, and I forget exactly how, but uh, you've been gracious enough to let me give a lecture in your um, spring course at Cornell. Tell me, I was talking with somebody about that, and I happen to be another Cornellian, but tell me about the class and what the focus is and, and what your objectives are. Sure. Well, the class is titled Wine Marketing, and it's offered in the spring semester, and it's available to both undergraduate and graduate students. And the purpose of the class is that Cornell, as you know, has a viticulture enology program. And then in the hotel school, we have like a wines of the world and wine tasting and pairing classes. But there isn't a class, well, there hasn't been a class on the business of wine at the university. So I developed the class really to be kind of in the middle between, you know, what we do in the hotel school as far as services and hospitality and then connecting that to people that are learning to grow grapes and make wine. And if they graduate and do that, like how do they actually connect to the consumer that wants to potentially buy their wines? So it's a, it's a fun class because I do get students from across the university at different levels that are interested in the wine world. And it's become not just a class for those going into the wine industry. It's also last semester I had somebody and you were in the class last year that was going into the cannabis industry. So I think that it does um, have some, you know, small business implications for other industries that are going after like the more artisanal consumer. And how do you, particularly a highly regulated industry like wine and also cannabis and, you know, hard cider, you know, so there's a lot of other 
uh, industries that people, once they take my class, uh, go into afterwards. So it's it's a fun it's a fun group. Well, Cornell has you're you're in the hotel school, which obviously focuses on hospitality. Wine has been a big part of it, and and one of the the things I think that are uh, definitive about Cornell is the association with the Mariani family. You want to talk to me about that? And, and obviously, they have a restaurant on campus, which is pretty nice. I ate at the last time. Right. We, um, so the Mariani family has endowed the, the Banffy chair that I, I currently am holding. And they've been a great uh, source of intellectual you know, capital for the, the hotel school. You know, uh, Christina Mariani May has come to my classes last couple of years. Unfortunately, it's been over Zoom because of COVID. Uh, but giving insights into, you know, changes that her family has made as far as the um, development of research on San Giovese and the different clones that they've developed at uh, their location. But also as they've moved from just not just making wine, but also moving into more of the luxury hospitality with their Costello Banffy resorts and getting into things like the balsamic vinegar and other aspects. So they've been a great, you know, insight. And a lot of our students have gone, you know, as after the graduation to visit Italy. And that's one of the places they always come back discussing how they've had such a great time getting insights about the wine industry and also Italy as they've visited there. Cornell's up in Ithaca and it's the Finger Lakes and it's a prime wine producing area in the United States. Uh, I guess it it gets overshadowed by California, but it certainly has a long heritage, and yet you have this sponsorship by Italy. So where does New York State wine fit into uh, the overall curriculum, if you will? It's only one course, but still. Well, I mean, it's a huge part of the class because uh, one of the key aspects of the class is that I team the students up with different wineries to work on like a, a marketing problem that they're facing. And we also, you know, we have in the past couple of years focused on the Finger Lakes and different things that have, obviously with COVID, like how do they attract, keep attracting consumers when they can't visit the wineries and, and different ways of marketing the wine. So the the local wineries and, uh, have been a huge support for the class as well. So we we try to do, we were able to do this past year, uh, a field trip um, of the Finger Lakes wineries. And Megan Frank, who is both like a former TA and also a good friend and, and currently uh, VP of Dr. Constantine Frank Winery, you know, always has uh, given us a, a great experience and come to the class talking about the wines that they have developed, but also she's really been a forefront and doing things such as uh, moving from the corks to different kinds of closures for their wines and also adding more experiential elements to the winery uh, visits. I don't if you remember, like ten years ago, the New York State when you went to a winery up here, you basically come in and you grab, you indicate like what five wines you wanted, and it would either be a free tasting or maybe a, a dollar for per wine that you tasted, and there, that was really the experience that was offered. And so we've evolved. We're not quite at Napa Valley experiential standards yet, but. You know, we have added things like uh, winery tours and food pairings and different experiential elements to the, the winery tours up here. So it's really kind of evolved in the last decade. Yes, I remember actually being in uh, one. The, you had that as the last class of the of the season, 
and um, one of the students um, had Fox Run Vineyards as a focus with Scott Osborne. I've met Scott a number of times when I've been up in the area, and I think he's doing some really cool stuff. So uh, a shout out to Scott. Tell me about, use him as an example and, and that winery. How does that connect with uh, your class at Cornell, and how does that make it more meaningful or practical? Well, Scott has been a great, also a great friend to our class. From the first year I taught this, and I think I've now going on probably about eight or nine years teaching this class. Early on, I had a student group work with him about the tasting room visitorship to Fox Run. And at that point in time, they weren't really collecting data on who was coming in and coming out of uh, the vineyard. And so the students helped them set up a survey to collect that information on site. And, and so obviously things have evolved a lot since then as far as like how they've collected data about their guests. But that's just like one example of a group project that the students in my class have worked on over the years. And what I, I try to do with these um, setting student groups up with the vineyard owners or a, a wine brand is that they get to see like how it actually works. So we can talk like theoretically, like how, how do you market and, you know, how does the wine industry work? But until they get to see like what are the actual decisions and what keeps the vineyard owner, you know, up at night and worrying about issues. And they, I've had situations where they've worked with uh, owners like in Long Island that they've had to sign like a NDA uh, agreement for because everything that they're talking about is so, you know, confidential and protected. So they really get uh, a really, I think, a, a nice insight into what's going on into the wine industry and some of the, the factors that they, they think about. Catherine, about yourself. So you've been through WSET and uh, the Court of Master Sons. I don't know if you've been through it, but I think you've, you've taken some courses there. Um, but your background is with consumer psychology and how people move from novices to more educated consumers. Uh, we're talking about a practical connection for students with the actual real world of wine. Talk about how your uh, academic interests have uh, coalesced around this whole wine issue. Sure. Uh, I think there's this general belief that if we get uh, consumers to be more educated. They'll be more discerning. They'll pay more for their wine. They'll buy more wine. They'll become more loyal to wine. So th the question is like, how do you get consumers to really become, you know, sign on to become a wine lover? And, you know, how do you get them to that point where, you know, that's, you know, their preferred drink is, is wine over, you know, other beverages. And so my research has been about, you know, getting, understanding the way in which industries like the wine industry seeks to educate potential consumers to become more um, expert in the way that they taste and appreciate wine. And so I have gone through, I'm certified sommelier through the Court of Master Sommeliers and gone through the blind tasting, you know, with their grid and using um, Ann Noble's wine aroma wheel to better describe verbally the taste of wine. And I'm currently uh, finishing, uh, hopefully uh, completing my WSET diploma. So potentially in the future, I might go back to the Master of Wine program. Uh, but also, you know, they have not the same kind of grid, but you know, very similar structure and how 
they teach students to describe wine. And, and the idea is that, you know, they want people, if they you know, have a glass of wine, that there's this common language and lexicon. So looking at the acidity or the, the alcohol levels and the different flavor profiles that, you know, people from, you know, different countries, you know, have basically the same way of which they're approaching the wine. Um, but my research question is, is this, when we're looking at teaching consumers, you know, there might be a different way that we want to be approaching the way that they become more expert or the, the way that they learn about wine, that using the analysis and the verbal lexicon can kind of lead some consumers to kind of tune out to the whole wine education aspect. And so my research has looked at, well, what ways can we engage consumers that leads to better retention uh, and memory of their experiences, but does it in a way that also leads to more enjoyment of the wine. And so I've kind of moved away from, you know, this analysis and the lexicon that the wine aroma wheel offers. It was initially helpful because we don't really have overall a good vocabulary of like how to describe wine aromas, but common, yeah, common, yeah. We, we have, unfortunately, we have a great one, and it's just so many things that mean nothing do not mean the same thing to other people. I think that's part of the problem. I, I always talk about sauteed gooseberries. I, I don't know what a gooseberry is, so. yeah. <laughs> or cat pee, or yeah, the, the uh, you know some of the descriptors that are used for um, some of the varietals. So I, I think if we kind of get past that, uh, the language and try to engage them in, in different ways. So I've looked at things like drawing, you know, what does the taste of wine look like to you and having people, you know, kind of going back to kindergarten where you give them a bunch of crayons and you give them the taste of the wine and say, well, you know, at the left-hand side is like when you initially smell it, the right-hand side is, you know, the the finish, you know, explain how that kind of taste to you evolves. And, and people do it in, in different ways. Uh, they could, you know, draw like a big bubble or they might, it might remind them of like their grandmother's uh, perfume. So they might, you know, draw something with their grandmother. But in making these connections, I think they find something that is more tangible and they can remember it better and they relate more to the wine. Personal too, I think. Yeah. Which is, I think one of the problems that we're dealing with, the sense of smell is not as codified as many other senses that we have or, or as, as defined. And there's so much variation between, well, even culturally, starting with culturally, um, but also um, language and um and a whole bunch of other issues. So, but going back to the the beginning, the question about saying, all right, um, you know, wine has been not doing well. Spirits have been growing. Beer has been hurting. Um, RTDs and seltzers uh, have been an area that, that have been growing. But wine has kind of been flat. And I we know that there's always been this kind of issue that people felt that it was only for the elite or you needed to be invited in or there's a code or a secret handshake or that if you don't know enough, you know, you should be embarrassed about that. And I don't know where that came from, but it it, it, it kind of exists. So the response has been, as you said, education. But when you think about that from a marketing perspective, wait a second. So you want to grow a category and you're going to make your future customers learn about it? That's a requirement for doing it? I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, there, there's a couple issues with that strategy, too, is that 
you know, once once consumers learn more about wine, the more uh, they want to try different types of wines. So if you're like the brand that you know educates them and you know everything there is about Riesling, it's like, well, if you're the Finger Lakes, well, aren't they going to explore uh, Germany and Austria and you know other areas that make Riesling? So you know, with education comes that variety seeking, and they want to explore. So it's you know, from a, a brand perspective, it, it's hard to kind of create that loyalty unless you have like a really un- unique, top-notch uh, taste experience that they keep wanting to co- come back to. And if I think if you give them that special experience and you're the first ones to kind of implant that, you know, desire to learn more, that they'll remember that and come back to you. But they'll, they will explore. I mean, that's the whole I- idea about, you know, going on a wine journey. Yeah. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. That that I get. Yeah. I I think from just from a pure branding from a um, academic perspective um, and the concept of brand loyalty, it's kind of that that could be true in spirits, but the opposite is true in wine. Because like, oh, I tasted this is really good. I like it. What else you got that's like that? And it's like kind of says, I, I don't want to buy this same thing again, even though I know it. So, brand loyalty is a very very different thing in the wine category where people might be drinking in a uh, a region or a style or a variety. People drinking Chianti, for example, from from Tuscany or Barolo from Italy, just to use Italian examples, or Riesling, as you said, from New York State, Austria, or, or Germany, or Australia, for that matter. It's kind of a very different animal, and um, it's it's one that I've been involved in it most of my professional life, and I can't get a handle on it yet. I, I think. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just I, I was looking at your notes. One thing you said is that doesn't mean that we need to simplify and dumb down, you know, the marketing materials to engage consumers. And I think that is a big mistake because I think the consumers today are, are, you know, very widely read, and they uh, they they don't like to be taught down to. So I I think what the wine industry needs to do is find a way to engage them in different ways and make it exciting and kind of invoke their curiosity so they want to know more. And I think trying to dumb it down, you know, really is, makes the consumer feel like you don't appreciate them or, you know, you don't think that they're worthy of, you know, having a relationship. Yeah, no, I I, I get it. And I I agree 100%. One of the things that I found, and and again, I live in a practical world, you know, the the old joke, a buddy of mine once told me, and it's a wonderful one, uh, he was working at the Boca Raton Hotel and Country Club, and they had this like very tall German guy named Hans, who was the sommelier with the black frock coat and the taste one. And then he asked him very humbly, you know, Hans, What's the best bottle of wine? And Anza's response was the one I just sold. That we, we right? And I, I, I do that with all of my lectures. That, that we're in a commercial business, okay? And people don't need to be qualified to be able to buy our stuff any more than they need to be qualified to buy a particular kind of pasta. But what I'm seeing, and it's been really reinforced or empowered by things like the internet, is the importance of discovery on their own. So it's learning something. It's not 
necessarily new, but it's new to them. And now you have the tools that enable them to share it immediately and almost in real time. And so what we've been doing a lot of is disclosing things in short bits. So call them factoids, if you will, from the old USA Today way of uh, presenting information kind of graphically, but in little snippets. And that's what people like. Did you know this? One fact that they can say when here's a bottle of wine, this guy did that. So it's the story behind it, and people can dig into it more in depth as they get further into a category, a series, or an individual wine. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I think it, that's a perfect way to kind of engage them, because once they find at one piece of information, they can share it with their friends over that bottle of wine at dinner, and then you know, that provokes a conversation and makes them feel like they know something that other people didn't know, and they feel good about themselves, and they want to kind of continue that journey to understand more about the wine. Okay, so imagine, and I don't think you need to imagine this, why don't you think back to a recent moment when you're having dinner with some new people, new to you, discovery, okay? And um, the subject of wine comes up. You know, people are probably thinking, oh, well, here's an expert. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And you don't want to be, you know, the lecturer at, at that. Nobody wants you know, a lecturer. How do you handle a situation like that? I, I look at that as kind of a microcosm of the industry, right? I mean, that, I guess that does come up uh, quite a bit. That And you mentioned also in your script about Tim Haney, and he has this one survey, and I've, I've seen it other places as well, where you ask people, like, how do they like their coffee? Do they like the, their coffee black or, you know, with cream and sugar? And I think getting them to talk about, like, their taste preferences overall and the, the type of, you know, beverages that they enjoy or even, like, the sheets that they have, like, whether it's soft or rough, you know, they can give some insight into, like, what kind of wines they might enjoy. And, you know, if they start talking about, like, what drinks they like or what kind of wines they've had in the past, then that kind of opens up, you know, a way of d discussing you know, wines and that relates to their own personal preferences. Well, a lot of Psalms do that, which is, you know, get to know the customer by asking some leading questions that give them some insights. But when you think about it professionally, you really don't have a lot of time to do that. You're looking for cues um, and, and you, you can't sit them down and give them a questionnaire to get a sense of what their flavor profiles are. You do know what the pairings are for a particular restaurant, the dishes with the, the wines that are available there. But where does like, wine pairing fit into this whole thing? I think, I mean, wine pairing is, is a, a fun way to you know, get people to experience wines maybe in, in different ways. So I've seen uh, like sauternes being paired with like every from appetizers all the way to dessert and, you know, ways in which you wouldn't normally think that, you know, sauternes should be a, uh, you know, something that you have with the, the middle course. So I think it's a, it's a nice way to showcase the wine, but it's also you know, a good way for the consumers to relate to, well, you know, this wine, like a Sauvignon Blanc, you know, goes well with salads or green vegetables. And then they can think about like how they might use that wine, like in, in the future or, you know, dinner party or something like that. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. And um, one of the interviews I did earlier this year was with uh, Deborah Brenner, who is the founder and uh, kind of guiding light in um, Women of the Vine and Spirit, it's called now. It used to be Women of the Vine. It's a, it's a movement that's really gained momentum. We're seeing it. Uh, we were discussing it last night about how even on some government forms, the choice of pronouns, um, which seems odd to me, but th there it is. 
How has the issues of DEI, do, do they play a role in your course? Is it an issue for the students? And thinking that, you know, a lot of your students are from different countries, it's not just American kids, and certainly not just New York State kids. Um, so where where does uh, DEI fit into uh, the Cornell curriculum? Hmm. Um, well, in my course, well, I, 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 just as a backup, I am on the advisory board of the Women of the Vine. And I, oh, okay. Great. Um, I'm on the scholarship committee, so I spent the summer reviewing applications to, you know, determine which um, students that had submitted application materials would get funded. And so that's always a, a fun aspect to be able to, you know, put my time towards helping women in advance in the um, beverage industry. And so it's, it has evolved beyond just wine, that, that it's more broader now. It's, I think it's women of the vine and alcohol industry. So it has moved beyond the wine industry. And as far as like the DEI, I mean, I, I think the, I know the students in my classes that are uh, mostly now Gen Z are very much more open to diversity and equity issues in the workplace. And it's, you know, something like, like it's not an issue for them because they've grown up with it not being an issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really an issue for them because they expect it. And I think it's really more of an issue for the industries that haven't recognized it and involved it because these are the, you know, the future people that are going to be working for the, for them. So they need to find a way to reach out and, you know, make their, workplaces, you know, see, market it to the needs of the Gen Z students. Understood. Well, I fit in, in the category. Everybody always points to, well, it used to be an industry of old white men. And and frankly, it still is. You go to a WSWA event and it's all a bunch of old people like me. We see that changing a lot. Where do the students come from? And I don't necessarily mean countries, but what are the interests that the students that take your class have what brings them to that class? What stimulates them? What 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 triggered their interest in in wine, either as a subject or wine as a career? That's a, a great question because it, it, what's exciting is there are so many diverse backgrounds of the students. So you know, I have, like I said, the the viticulture and analogy students that have never had a marketing or business class before, but they are hoping when they graduate to open their own winery or cidery, and they have no idea of like how they would sell their product to the consumers. So they have very little understanding. They have a lot of understanding of how the wine is made and what goes into that process and the differences between different varietals and what, you know, grows better in the Finger Lakes compared to other areas. But that business side that they're, you know, don't have as much background. And then the other students I have are from the hotel side and they've chosen like a food and beverage as their concentration. And they really want to work either in a hotel or restaurant wine program, or they want to start their own restaurant, or they want to work at a winery or start their own winery. And they want to understand more about the wine industry. And so they might not have as much background about, you know, how do you actually grow the grapes or make the wine? But they know a lot more because they've because in the hotel school, they take a lot more of the business classes. So they have more of that business perspective, you know, to add to the discussion. So when I put the groups together, I, I usually try to, you know, um, get people 
students from the hotel school that have more of the business side and then pair them up with viticulture enology students that might have more maybe connections to the, the wine world but don't know as much about the the business side of things. So it's a it's an interesting class because we do have like and I've had um, we also have a chemical engineering program that had students come that are interested in that aspect of the business like the chemical components of wine. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it does really attract a wide variety of student interests. So it's 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 my favorite class to teach it. So what does Cornell do for career uh, opportunities for the kids when, when they're when kids, when the students, when they're when they're taking your class? Some of them are graduate students, but I think most of them, they're fourth year, right? Seniors or uh, further along in their thing and then going out into the job market. Do you guys have any programs to help the students in uh, the practical world and finding jobs? In the wine industry. Well, we have an office of student services, and that's like their full time job is to help you know kind of pair companies up with students that are looking for jobs in a particular area. And a lot of students, you know, in my class with the wine class, or I also teach luxury marketing, I bring in a lot of guest lecturers like yourself, and, and so they make the connection with the people that come into class that way, and so that I think that helps them to get to know people in the industry and figure out what opportunities might exist for them when they graduate. We're talking with Professor Catherine Latour of uh, Cornell University. And if people want to contact you or reach out to you, how would they do that? Um, Probably best via my email, and that's uh, kal276 at cornell.edu. I like to, uh, one of the things I learned (laughs) when I was in school, I I was a journalism major, it's called communication arts at Cornell, was the idea that uh, to, to bring it all home, but what's the big takeaway? That you can write an article and people are not going to remember all the different things that you talked about, but they might come away with one big idea. So as we've been talking today, what's the one big takeaway that you think people listening to this might come away with um, and then might share with others who have similar interests? I think it would be to think differently about the way you market wine and then invoke curiosity on the consumer and get them to engage in wine that is more personal and reflects like how they would enjoy the wine. And don't talk down to them and get them to you know, think about like how wine can enhance their experiences and their uh, relationships. Cool. Okay. Well, big thank you to um, Catherine Latour of Cornell University for being my guest this week. Catherine, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Steve. It was so much fun. And thank you so much for coming to our class also. Yeah, I get a great deal of joy out of it. And it's always nice to, to come back to campus. Um, and this is Steve Ray signing off this week for How to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. We didn't focus today on Italian wine necessarily, uh, but it certainly came up uh, through the Mariani family. But tune in next week for next week's edition. And we'll have another interesting interview on Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, and have a good week. Thanks again for listening. This is Steve Ray with Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. 